Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I wanted to tell you about Black on the Air, hosted by the one and only, the great one, Larry Wilmore. Even though he's a Lakers fan, I still like him. I think he's talented. But he has all kinds of guests on, from Neil deGrasse Tyson to Al Franken to Bernie Sanders. You name it, they're coming on. Pop culture, politics, newsmakers. And then at, at the beginning of every podcast, Larry does a little riff about whatever is either sticking in his car or things that he's enjoying. Although he has been enjoying much lately the way the world's going. But uh, Larry will riff on anything. And then he has guests on. It's great. If you liked everything else that he's done, comedy-wise, if you love this Comedy Central show, you will love this podcast. It is a medium that he has built for it. It's called Black on the Air, hosted by Larry Wilmore. Get it wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Brian? Yes, David? I have some bad news for you. What? Um, I've just been informed that you've been suspended from the ringer. What? Because of one of your tweets. No. Can you do you do you care to hazard a guess over which tweet it was that got you this uh this indefinite suspension? I'm I'm just my mind's going through all the milk toast tweets I've you, lobbed out there over the you, last Do you think it was hours. saying that Jerry Jones anthem policy is an actual distraction? Is it Definitely not. Uh, do you think that uh do you think it was taking on Trump with uh Trump misses having someone to talk sports with? <laughs> I think that's an actual quote. I don't think I'd get suspended for that one either. Oh, really? Well, anyway, um, all of that was not true. It was a joke. But it's fun to imagine what it would actually take uh, to get one of us suspended from the ringer. Can you imagine? What would you have to tweet? Um, prob- I have no idea. We'd probably have to like, go in on Roman Reigns <laughs> on Twitter. Go all in. Talk about how uh, talk about how gambling is like violates my Christian morality. <laughs> Be against gambling. Yeah, just yeah. To- just to- just totally out on 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 basketball. I think not 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 Ooh. negative about the NBA, but just like this is really boring to me. At every Ringer tweet about basketball, just respond with just like bore- boredom. Yeah, but how many how many of those would you have to do before <laughs> a lot. before before it became like d- dude? We're just we need, we need you to take a time out. <laughs> it would take a while. You're man. off Twitter. It would take a while. This is the press box on the Ringer Podcast Network. Howdy. I'm Brian Curtis, Ringer editor at large. He is David Shoemaker, Ringer art director and host of the Mass Man Show. And here on the press box, we talk about issues and concerns in the media. In a way that doesn't sound like we're talking about issues and concerns in the media. On today's show, we will tackle the Jamel Hill, Jerry Jones, Mike Pence, whatever it is, and explore the ways in which public figures say they just want to move on and yet slyly keep the story alive. <laughs> we'll also talk about the dropping and collective selling of the trailer of the new Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi. And finally, the greatest sports writer Fort Worth, Texas ever produced, Dan Jenkins, is being honored with an award we talk about it and how awesome it is to have gone to the same high school. Oh, yeah. It's Mr. Jenkins. But first, David, a segment called Bend the Knee. The, um, how do I just, how do we even start this? Let's, let's just start with Jerry Jones. Let's do it. This is, to me, Jerry Jones is the center of this bizarre latest chapter in our national football dramedy. So I think all of us who were, who side with the players who feel sympathy to the kneeling players in this thing were sort of upset that the story was fading away last sure. Sunday, yeah. right? Um, that, um, you know, the original cause of police violence had been lost and had become basically a First Amendment thing and, and totally with Jerry Jones and Dan Snyder locking arms. And all of a sudden, two things happened. One, Mike Pence walks out of the Colts 49ers game. Jeez. Makes a dramatic exit. We understand why that happened. 
And then after the soul crushing, at least to me, Cowboys lost to the Packers. <laughs> Jerry Jones comes out in the post game in his typical 20 minute post game spiel and says, We've kneeled in support of each other before the national anthem, and we've stood for the national anthem. We've always done that. And uh, there is no equivocation here. We'll stand for the flag. If there's anything uh, that is disrespectful to the flag, uh, then we will not play. If you disrespect the flag, you are not going to play. You're going to be on the bench for the Dallas Cowboys and just reopens this can of worms in the most dramatic way possible. So weird. Do you do you have any sense of why Jerry would do this? Well, I don't think you mentioned Donald Trump in the in that in that oh, introduction. Yeah, sorry. As far as as far as things like the known knowns, uh, like you understand why Mike Pence did what he did. I think we we can at least you sure. know take Occam's razor and figure that one out. I think the same sort of goes for President Trump, right? I mean, you can. It seems like this is this is rich soil. Uh, for him to till every time he comes back around to it, it it se- it, it it may distract from some of the problems that he has. It also, uh, t- you know, really specifically targets his base. There was a, a incredible graph that came out today uh, that I, I I totally am forgetting who who did Times, it. it was yeah. the New York Times that charted Trump voters opinion of the NFL. And it just like plummeted over the past couple of months. Right. Whereas um, Hillary Clinton voters thought the NFL was just fine. Yeah, exactly. Um but but you understand why he did it. Now, I don't know. It's really hard to wrap your mind around what Jerry Jones thinks he stands to gain from this. Unless it's, I mean, some left field, unless it's a cabinet position or something. You know, like, I don't. <laughs> Ooh, I, I didn't even think of that. I, I don't know what, the, I, I, I can't, I just can't wrap my mind around they it. They say Rex Tillerson is on his way out. <laughs> Jerry would never call Donald Trump a moron. I don't think in so many words. No, I mean, but, he, but Jerry could do it. Jerry could call him a moron. He could just all he has to do is grin and and affect the draw, and you can he could get away with calling anybody a moron. I feel like <laughs> you and I grew up in Dallas Fort Worth. We have been Jerry Jones observers for some portion of our life. Mm, yeah. Um. To me, two great through lines through Jerry Jones's life. One is making money. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Put that aside. The second is just you know doing whatever he can to support members of the Dallas Cowboys that he thinks are going to win games. Dallas mm-hmm. Cowboys players. Sure. Bill Bill Parcells once said he is the greatest enabler there ever was. Jerry Jones. Yeah. Typically, we see this in like, you know, Greg Hardy or Pac-Man Jones, like Michael Irvin. How did you tolerate these guys? How did you enable them as, as it were? But there's also like he signed Michael Sam because he thought probably Michael Sam was a, a way to make money for the Dallas Cowboys, get attention, draw, you know, and then also that maybe he could help and he wasn't afraid to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. I don't know how this accomplishes either one of those things that Jerry held. Jerry, Jerry has no political conscience. I just don't believe that's true at all. I don't think Jerry cares about this at all. But I'm just wondering, like, how do you – how does this help either the bottom line or the Cowboys win games? It seemingly would hurt both to take a hardline stand on this. Yeah, I, I agree with what you said. I think if Jerry cared about it even an iota in either direction, he would not have locked arms and yield with the players two weeks ago. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it does. That was the ultimate cop out, right? It, yeah, but it does. That was the ultimate. Let's just get over this. If he, if he were, if he were again, if he, if he were actually uh, on like politically line, aligned with Trump on this issue, he wouldn't have done that. I don't think. No. If he were on the other side of it, if he were the the biggest Con Kaepernick supporter in the world, uh, I, I think he would have realized how petty it looked for him to do that in the moment. Right. I mean, he wouldn't have done it if he cared. Um, but it's it's really hard uh, to to see what he's trying to do. I think that. The only, I mean, maybe there is a financial stake. Maybe Trump's 
just kind of baseless uh, fear mongering about taking away tax breaks or exposing, you know, what the what the gov- what various governments have given the NFL. Maybe Jerry Jones is scared because he took. I mean, it wasn't even that much money. How much money did he end up getting for the AT and T Stadium from the local? Right, but uh, but from the city of Arlington, like not. Yeah, I mean, not, it was not, not the federal government. Sure, I mean, I just can't imagine unless he thinks he's running cover for the rest of the NFL. Unless yeah. he thinks he's sort of like taking a bullet. But so, even so, wait, can I? Can I? It's in my my Jerry Jones conspiracy theory sure. here. Why you come out on this is every time we read one of those giant ESPN magazine pieces. Yeah. It's always about how Jerry is decided he wants to run the NFL uh-huh. and not Roger Goodell. Well, notice that he did this like two or three days before the NFL came out with their statement of oh. can't we move on? So maybe he knew that's the way the NFL was going and he wanted to be first huh. in a way. I mean, that to me makes as much sense as anything. Sure. Like, why would you want to like make the Dallas Cowboys the face of angry owner, you know, threatening to bench players who peacefully protest um the, my mind immediately goes to questions as to how that would functionally happen and then who would be left to run the cowboys and all the conflicts <laughs> of interest inherent in that but let's set that aside uh if that were true it makes a it makes sense right it, it almost is like the the uh you know the the, the prior to trump being elected it was sort of like the liberal dream scenario of trump getting elected where he runs so far to the right and then he gets in office and he's just like well, that got me here. Now I'm just going to be surprised. Yeah. Now I'm just going to like do whatever I wanted to that. I mean, that that makes a certain amount of sense that if they're looking for someone to place Goodell, then Jerry Jones could be like, listen, I've got the, I got half the country on my side. And I'm, when I, once I get there, I'm just going to make everybody happy. Mm, Yeah. I don't know that, that that's more compelling than anything else. Yeah. Cause he just, he doesn't, I mean, you know, the cow, it's funny. The Cowboys have like a great history of non-activism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like sure. Can, it's hard to find the Jim Brown of the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, yeah. They had this sort of like, there was this, uh, this great book by Joe Nick Potosky. It's like this giant history of the Cowboys. And he said that the Cowboys wanted to market their old quarterback, Craig Morton, as <laughs> as the the silent majority's Joe Namath. <laughs> <laughs> Just to say not Joe Namath, you know. And Roger Staubach actually kind of became that guy who was in the Navy and had a crew cut. Yeah. Uh, and was definitely conservative, bleeding, definitely became that guy. He became that guy yeah. in kind of Cowboys lore. And they just, you know, no Cowboy has knelt for the anthem at all. Sure. At all. You know, they've just kind of, however they've, whether they have guys who just don't care about that. But, you know, they are very, they are America's team in the sense that we are going to be you know, as blandly likable to Exa- America as possible. That's exactly what I was thinking. The, the America's team branding is is just on par with nothing else except maybe like the Rolling Stones calling themselves the world's greatest rock and roll band or whatever. But <laughs> but like they are America's team in the way that like they just want to avoid this this discussion altogether, right? And that's what seemingly, except for you know, setting just Jerry Jones's recent actions aside, you would it seems like. You know, they align with sort of the polls, which is just like, let's just talk about something else. But then Jerry goes and stirs everything up. Not shockingly, that little press conference after the game, and he he doubled down on the radio, right. on his radio show, because it's the Dallas, it's Jerry Jones. So Jerry Jones has a radio segment, right, of course, unlike just about any other owner in any sport. But anyway, there was a players only meeting mm-hmm. this Wednesday, and then there was a players and Jerry only meeting <laughs> <laughs> Again, tell me where in the NFL the players are meeting with the owner midseason. Oh, my gosh. And it was really funny because, like, the Cowboy beat writers had some amazing tweets yesterday. Like, Zeke and Dak usually talk on Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. And they talk, like, once a week. 
just no, just didn't did not want to speak yesterday. Jason Witten, who is the go-to bland quote in the NFL, one of like the best. You, you are standing at your locker. You're going to tell us, you know, how how much respect you have for your teammates and how great your opponent is this week and all that stuff. Just nowhere to be found. Wow. Like Jason Witten didn't have anything bland to say about this. That's how. <laughs> divisive this was and 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 honestly as as you said from my my controversial twitter account this was a distraction yeah this was an actual distraction not the fake sports writer distraction of colin kaepernick or whatever this was an actual distraction for a team that is by the way two and three it is i mean it's it's funny because that's just one piece of the puzzle. As you broke it down, we didn't even talk about Jamel Hill, right? I mean, yeah. and there's there is a uh, seemingly unlimited stream of uh, of articles on the subject um, that that are just. It seems like every article is just in search of a means to wrap one's head around it, right? Because all these things are connected. Right. We know that intuitively. The, the lead of the NPR story was sports, politics, and perceptions of patriotism collided once again when President Trump tweeted <laughs> early Tuesday about ESPN Sports Center host Jamel Hill, suggesting she is the reason for the network's poor ratings. But then, of course, the piece go, gets into Jerry Jones, gets in, you know, gets into the entire NFL. Um, it's a very like I keep a, like a just a word doc of all Trump and sports. Right. And is the most complex. It's turned into the most complicated and longest documented that I that I have saved on my computer because there's just so many fucking things happening at once. It's it's insane. I mean, we talked about the Pence piece of this. Trump was on Hannity on Wednesday night saying the NFL should have suspended Colin Kaepernick. Then you have Jamel who goes into Twitter and as I read her tweets really talks about boycotting the Cowboys. Sure. As from an intellectual, just like here, here is something that could happen. Sure. Let us talk about this possibility. And it should be said, those it was one tweet in like a, a hundred tweets that evening. It wasn't like yeah. you know a call to action. And that somehow was- gets read as Jamel Hill calls for a boycott of the Dallas Cowboys, which is ridiculous. And you know, and you just imagine if any of that stuff had been on her show, you know, like you could see the ESPN Chiron, right? Mm-hmm. Should fan, Cowboy fans unhappy with Jerry Jones boycott? Question mark. Right. And even if Jamel had absolutely come down, yes, that nobody would have cared. Like that just wouldn't, that wouldn't have even been like a noticed, particularly noticed segment. But somehow this would become this giant Twitter catastrophe and she's suspended. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned this to you off air, but in uh, in Joe Pompeo's piece in the uh, in Vanity Fair this week on the subject, there's a great line where he, uh, the, here's the quote. Another ESPN employee with thorough knowledge of the social media policy emphasized that regardless of the rapidly changing nature of Twitter and other social platforms, the central conceit of the policy is, quote, think before you tweet. If there's something you're not going to say on your TV show or radio show, don't say it on social media. The crazy thing is that this is something that would have been more at home if it had happened on the six. Right. I mean, Jamel Hill could have said that could like you said, you right. could imagine the Chiron. This is not this is not a particularly shocking thing for any ESPN personality, let alone Jamel Hill, to say on the air. For some reason, it's only in this weird vacuum of Twitter where anything can be taken out of context and be and, and you know, public figures can easily be dogpiled by their detractors that that's when it really I mean, listen, the people who are criticizing Jamel Hill on Twitter, I guarantee are not watching her on TV. So like no one's no one's there watching ESPN to be offended by this. Yeah, it's like what you and I talked about. Part of my take last week was weirdly what happens on Twitter is sort of a bigger deal than what happens on linear television, yeah. even a giant network like ESPN. And somehow the same comment you make on Twitter just becomes this like outsized thing. Whereas if she had just like you said said on six, it's just like eh. It's easier uh, to it's easier to to retweet 
uh, you know, something you disagree with and to like go through the effort of like somehow downloading the video and reposting it. Yeah. And I, and I think so part of the frustration within ESPN, if you're an employee there, is that somehow like you, this is the way Donald Trump is acting. This is the way Jerry Jones is acting. This is the way Mike Pence is acting as an agent of Trump. This mm-hmm. is the way all these Trumpy sort of people are acting. Jamel Hill is the one who is suspended here. <laughs> Jamel Hill is the one who is is feeling the consequences. It's like, what? Yeah. I mean, I, and I, I know and I understand that's not it's not all connected that easily. But right. Really? Obviously, two people working two completely different jobs. But Donald Trump did literally call for a boycott of the NFL. So it's yeah. not. So, I mean, it's not like just that's what should be totally off limits. No, I also think, you know, it's a, I don't know, so Goodell, when they released the statement this week of what we're going to do, which was kind of like, let's get past the anthem thing. Mm-hmm. It was essentially it was very, very dead's been correctly called incredibly bland, but its basic message was stop protesting. We want to help you players, but just stop protesting because right. this is a big headache for us. Soon as he releases that, Trump fans like Laura Ingram and Mike Huckabee are tweeting, uh, that's it. Donald wins. Yeah. He dunked on him. He got G- Goodell, Goodell bent the knee sure. to Donald Trump. And this is like what you realize you can't make deals with these people. Like they don't want they don't they don't actually have a good faith concern about this. They want to embarrass you. They want to score points. They want to dunk on you in Twitter parlance, right? They just want to that is that that is the goal. And and bizarrely you're not it's, going to you're not going to be like, okay, we've come to an understanding. Yeah. And bizarrely that like that that sort of reaction is what's making the, the situation so much more problematic, right? No the NFL players who who conceivably would have accepted another means of protest. You know, we will you can air your grievances on NFL.com once a week, do whatever. There, there's like a million ways that you can imagine uh, this, you know, the protest taking another direction. They're not going to back down now. They're not going to back down now that, that that Trump is acting like he's won, he's won, you know. Of course not. Of course not. Or that an owner has dared to say, in Jones's case, has dared to say, like, I have the right to suspend you because of this. Yeah. I just think at that point, you're right. Totally. David, it's time for a little segment we call Overworked Twitter Joke of the Week. Yes. We celebrate a joke that's so obvious, so within the grasp that all of media Twitter makes it at exactly the same time. <laughs> We've actually done this now enough that people on Twitter are sending us overworked Twitter jokes Keep of the week. Keep sending them, man. So this is thanks. Thank you, Joshua Walker and Jack Noonan. Loyal they listeners. They have separate Twitter accounts or they share one? They're, they're separate. Okay. They're good. not like a tag team. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the it, killer bees. It's like a 70-year-old's email account where it's just like. <laughs> the wife is on there too. Yeah, the <laughs> exactly. husband and wife. I love those email accounts. Um, you might remember, David, on Sunday, a video surfaced of Dolphins offensive line coach Chris Forrester <laughs> snorting white powder yeah. through $20 bills that appeared to be cocaine. I think that's the legal nice way to say this. I don't know if you see where we're going here, David. <laughs> I have a Twitter. guess. Quote from Twitter, I think it's kind of bullshit that the Dolphins offensive line coach was fired for researching offensive lines. <laughs> Boom. That's Pete Blackburn of CBS. Here's another variation. Dolphins offense, hashtag Dolphins offensive line coach resigns after video leaks of him taking offensive lines. Hashtag only in Miami. It's from Miami's Grant, Grant Stair. By the way, the offensive offensive thing. I remember there was a commercial from our childhood. Where yeah. it was a ble- it was like a bleach commercial uh-huh. where the kid came in in a really dirty shirt, right? And mom was like, "You must play for the offensive line." It was like <laughs> a deliberate <laughs> mispronunciation. Like that's a, just a great that's a great standby joke. <laughs> that's really great, man. All right, David, I want to talk to you about the Last Jedi, but first, a quick break. 
Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I want to tell you about the Ringers Gambling Podcast. It is called Against All Odds with Cousin Sal, and you're not going to believe this, but it is hosted by Cousin Sal, the biggest degenerate gambler that I know. He's such a degenerate. He has three other degenerates that he calls the degenerate trifecta. And they break down every conceivable gambling thing you would ever want to gamble on. They even take you to Captain Morgan's make-believe casino, where Sal makes up props on, on all kinds of things, sports, pop culture, you name it. You are going to want to get your gambling advice from these guys. Cousin Sal, he's been a staple on the BS podcast for the last 10 years. So good that we gave him his own podcast. Check it out, Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So, David, this is the – if we had to do a runner-up for overwork Twitter joke of the week. Oh, good. Are you ready? Yes. I don't know if you're – were you watching Monday Night Football? I was not. I was Dude. watching Monday Night Raw, as one might <laughs> Right. I forget you have other Monday Night responsibilities. So right before – right at the beginning of halftime, before this trailer, the most wanted trailer in the history of movies drops. Yeah. All these stormtroopers marched out onto the field. Yes, I saw you a saw clip this. of that, yeah. So this was another great Twitter joke. Did you see when the Star Wars stormtroopers marched out on the field during Monday Night Football right before they showed the Last Jedi trailer? And then they, people would say, bold strategy to, sh- to showcase the stormtrooper color rush uniforms on Monday Night Football. That's actually from the Ringer Twitter account. There were several others. Okay, this color rush thing is out of hand. <laughs> when I found you, I saw raw, untamed power. So we had noted Star Wars fans. Sean McDonough announced the trailer for The Last Jedi. We saw it, right? We got to see Luke. Sure. Got to see Rey. We got to see Supreme Leader Snoke. <laughs> and then we and then and then we started a peculiar ritual of modern journalism, whereby journalists who in their very soul hate hashtag brands, hate corporate mind fucking of any kind. Yeah. These same people race to their computers so they can write about this advertisement for a movie. Mm-hmm. You and I are both lifelong Star Wars fans here. Yes. We are probably part of the problem on Twitter in some way. Oh, yeah. But how how do we square these things? We're also both employees of a website that uh, that, that rushed a review of the, of the sure. trailer up there. Which I read and loved. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as, a, as a diehard fan, there's nothing I love more than reading, like, the the scene, the, 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 you know, cell-by-cell breakdown of everything that happens in the trailer. Um you know, over on on Star Wars Reddit, there's a there's a thread that's about uh, you know, I mean, that's I'm looking right now. It's like ten thousand comments deep about this thing. I mean, it's it's crazy, and it breaks down the music cues and how you know, what we're supposed to gain from it. Um, I was actually thinking about director Ryan Johnson when you were talking about Roger Goodell in the last segment because <laughs> Goodell, sorry, sorry Ryan, <laughs> this happens all the time because you know Goodell puts out the, you know the official memo from the NFL and half the people on the internet are just like mis- willfully misread it right. Sure. Ryan Johnson famously said, you know, if you if you really don't want to be spoiled at all, you want to go and fresh the movie, then maybe you should avoid the trailer because obviously there's going to be some stuff in there. And the internet ran wild with this. <laughs> Ryan Johnson asks you to not watch the Star Wars trailer um which would be shocking right <laughs> it'd be galling rollout <laughs> yeah. he does not want you to see it 
Um, he also had a great moment on Twitter where some, I even forgot who it was, but somebody ran with the story that he didn't, that he was very elusive as to who the last Jedi was. He, and, and, and he just responded in a tweet so and he just said, it's Luke. You that know? was so great. <laughs> it's just like, I love it. I think that the, I, you know, I mean, that's been a, just an incredible point of, of just willful ignorance on, on the part of the internet broadly defined where it's just like, he thought it was so clear to him what the answer was that he didn't have any interesting answers and we're in search of this like interesting hook. Now, this brings us back around to just the concept of reviewing a movie trailer where everyone on the internet is in search of this hook, right? You're in yes. search of a way you're, you're it's, it's, you know, click farming, just like, a lot of stuff with, you know, Jamel Hill and, and the Trump, NFL. Trump and, tweet. Yeah, and Trump tweets. This is a means of just getting people to pay attention to a thing, to your version of a thing that everyone has access to anyway. Right? It's like this is the internet equivalent of putting a fancy label on your bottled water so people choose that over the water fountain. <laughs> right? Right, or giving it a cool name. Exactly. I'm still, you and I are old enough men that this is still amazing. Mm -hmm. It is amazing mm -hmm. that everyone has to do this. Yeah. Did the New Yorker have to do this? Did that, yeah. is that, is that <laughs> as far as it reaches now? Is there a, was there a New Yorker <laughs> last Jedi trailer breakdown? I was going to spring this on you. Go uh, for it. But I was, this is, this is the opening graph from a, from, from one of the reviews. I want you to guess the subject, guess the source. Look who's back. Fans saw more of Mark Hamill's Luke Skywalker in the 154-second trailer unveiled Monday night for Star Wars The Last Jedi than they did in the entire 135-minute running time of Star Wars The Force Awakens in 2015. That film featured only a brief glimpse of the Jedi Knight in its final scene, but he appears to be back in force, ha ha ha, for the next installment. It's a pretty, pretty generic lead there. Yeah. Um, London Review of Books. <laughs> yeah. Actually, not too far off. The answer is the New York Times. Wow. The, wow. the, the New York Times of all of all sources has to go in with the same way. Listen, good for them. You know, I'm glad that they're covering this beat because this gets them in closer to writing an article that I'm going to love the hell out of in three months, you know? Um, but I mean, it's it's crazy. It's crazy how how this uh you know, how far this art form has conquered the internet. Yeah, because it's like, you know what I want to read a want to read a review of and have deep thoughts about The Last Jedi the movie. <laughs> yeah. Like the full movie. Because it's we have we are in this moment. I, I think Andy and Chris talked about this uh, when um, the Force Awakens came out. That you can have a director like J.J. Abrams who's really good at making trailers. Mm -hmm. Like they, he knows. You know, his whole so much of his creative work is about hitting those little nostalgia soft spots. Mm -hmm. That of course, when they make the trailer, he can string them together sure. in such a way that everybody's going to be really happy. Yeah, like trailers are meant to, if not fool you into seeing, seeing the movie. To absolutely convince you that you have to see the movie, which I did. By the way, I bought tickets immediately after the trailer <laughs> when you were supposed to. I have my I have my seats. Right, I'm ready. But like, you are reviewing something that is supposed to trick you into seeing something, right? It's sure. Like, it's like reviewing the Tide commercial. At its essence, I mean, that's what it is. I mean, that that what is what is the difference? Well, I mean, you you mentioned J.J. Abrams, but there's a lot of these instances where the people cutting together the trailers are not the directors, you know, and not and 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 sometimes without the oversight of the directors. And and you know, you referred to this uh, in an email as the Suicide Squad problem, right? Where the where the trailer <laughs> is actually so much better than what you have in the can that the you movie end up. We wish we made. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Suicide Squad is an extreme example because there were reshoots that came out of the fact that the trailer was so well received and the movie didn't match the trailer um i don't think we're you know seeing any of that in star in this star wars film although you know it, it, it might be the only one if that's the case but uh it, it 
when you when you read some of the more in depth reviews of the trailer, and and by the way, I mean like I was, just <laughs> before the, we came on the some air, some of the more in depth reviews. Well, you know, I was, I was, you know, I I was, you know, drooling over uh, over the the you know the vulture you know scene by scene review that uh, that Abraham Reisman did. I did read that. That was um, good. But I mean. You know, when Pete, when you refer to certain things and you, you you look at every scene, you break down everything in the background, you keep referring to things as Easter eggs, you know, like and I'm not talking about this article in particular, but just in general conceit. They're not Easter eggs. I mean, this is these are things that are that are deliberately put forward to right. pique the entrance of every, the interest of every fan of Star Wars and more broadly, every fan of movies. You yeah, know? that's like if the Easter Bunny knocked on your door and put the egg in your hand. Right, exactly. It's not exactly. like where are you going to find this? It's yeah. right here, buddy. There, if if there's any if there's any media that we consume where it's safe to say there are no accidents, it's in a it's in the trailer for the new Star Wars. Oh, that's good. Yes, every beat, as they say. Yeah, is is just right. Right. Every bit of you know, it's just just enough new, right? Just enough nostalgia, mysteries teased, you know, the, you know, the who is Snoke thing is teased just enough. The Luke Ray training is teased just enough. We got to see like one scene of the other people. So we don't forget, we don't forget that they're in the movie. Mm-hmm. Also, I was thinking about this, like I was talking to our, our pal, uh, Justin Verrier about this because about the NBA, how like the NBA is the most interesting it's ever going to be right now. Right. Right before the season. Yes. Because all the possibilities, you know, Golden State doesn't have like a 20 game lead in the standings. Yeah. You know, where everybody gets really bored and I'm like, sure. oh, that Oklahoma City thing turned out to be a dud. Yeah. Right now you can kind of believe. We might have re- we might have published, you know, a, one of our only pieces about the Nets all season. Oh, just yeah, now, you know, because the, now it's like there's hope. There's the potential. idea of the yeah. Nets is interesting. <laughs> but it's the same with Star Wars, right? Even if the movie's good, it's never going to be more interesting than it is right now. When we see like the Porg. You know, oh, look at that little new thing. What's it going to be? Mm-hmm. What, what's its role? What is the little <laughs> AT? I looked this up. The AT M6 Gorilla Walkers, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, right? The new AT-ATs. What, what are those going to be? What are they going to do? Because they might not be in the movie for like 10 seconds. Sure. But right now they are unbelievably interesting. Because you can imagine they'll have a much bigger role than they ultimately may. I mean, it, the, the other basketball parallel is obviously just like the never-ending season. Right. The, 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 in, what would ma- part of what makes the NBA so compelling is that they've lined. I mean, Bill's talked about this a million times. They've lined up the postseason and free agency and the draft uh, in such a way that like the NBA is, is a year is a year round sport, basically. Right. So you're so you're always on the edge of your seat to see what's going to happen next. In the same way, the sort of I mean, Star Wars isn't the only example, but it's certainly the prime example unless, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is. But it's this you know, Star Wars promotional industrial complex that we're all complicit in. And that's not not knocking anybody to say it, you know, but like what makes Star Wars so exciting? I mean, you as a diehard Star Wars fan, you've been through this when they announced when 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 they announced the new movies, it seemed like they were so far away. Right. Whatever it was, two and a half years away or three years, it seemed like never get here. It seemed like it would never come. And then, you know, when the last movie came out, it seemed like, oh, the next, you know, The Last Jedi is so far away, right? But it, now, but it really feels like we haven't had a moment without Star Wars in our lives for the past five years. Yeah, it really makes you, by the way, look back at the gap between 1983 and 1999, <laughs> 16 years, and the way, like, the analog methods that George Lucas kind of kept it alive. Sure. You know, the novels, um, you know. The, the, Role-playing the, games. The role-playing. <laughs> Comic you know, books. Only, only for you. Yeah. Comic books. Yeah, like some, like, figure reissues and sure. things. But it, it survived yeah. as cultural capital, in a way. Yeah. Um, in a way, and then it's now it's like they would never take that for granted. You know, it's like I was even looking at the Star Wars official Twitter account today, and it's like there's there's something with like 
a person who has worked with Lucasfilm reacting to the trailer. Yeah. Like it's that weirdly meta. Like we can't even let a day go by. We just uh, have the trailer. I think that it's I think that it's fair to say that, you know, if the if Twitter and the rest and the internet existed, you know, all those years ago in the way that it did today, there wouldn't have been 16 years between the trailer, between the between movies. There meant so much pressure. Yeah. I th- every time George Lucas left his house, there would be ca- people with cameras asking him when the next movie was coming out. Can you imagine if he had a Twitter account, too? Yeah. I mean, I feel he would have tweeted like five times, but every tweet would have been, in, you know, just invested with so much. <laughs> yeah. He would well, have been like George R. R. Martin. Right? I was going to say the exact same thing. The, maybe there would have been 16 years between movies and we would have been writing constant blog posts about how George Lucas doesn't have any scenes shot. I do believe, by the way, that the as as kind of ridiculous as trailer criticism is, yeah. I do believe it's usually right that if people really like the trailer, it usually results in a good movie. Mm-hmm. It may not quite line up to great trailer, great movie, it might be great trailer, pretty good movie. But it's usually on, right? So when you see the 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 Ben Affleck Batman thing, and everybody's like, "Oh, this looks like crap," like yeah. they're usually pretty right. Yeah, I think it's easier with bad trailers. I think it's possible to make a good trailer out of out of a bad movie. You just put the right, you know, you put sympathy for the devil in there, and all in any trailer looks great. You but know if I you've mean? got a bad movie, it's impossible to create a great trailer. No, no, I think you can. Hard. Oh, I, I see. think you can. I think it's I think it's hard. I mean, I, but but it's just I, I don't know. I, I think that uh, I I think that. What what really what's really important is that when you see a trailer like this and you're so captivated by it and so enthralled, it informs the way that you experience the movie, right? I mean, if you were if you were not a if you if you go see the Last Jedi, you might not realize you don't like it for a week after you've seen it, you know, because you're just so excited going in, and this is part of that hype machine. Absolutely, certainly worked with The Force Awakens, David. It's time for a new feature here on the Press Box. Yes, many media institutions have a public editor or ombudsman who is tasked with keeping them honest. Well, David, we've decided to outsource that particular task to our mothers <laughs> in a new segment we're going to call Mombudsman. What we did, by the way, we should tell people is we both basically solicited comment on our podcast, right? Or does your mom actually no. know that this is coming out? Did your mom send this unbidden? My mom, all the text messages I've received from my mom about our podcast so far have have come unprovoked. Wow. I mean, I sent her the link to the podcast. So oh, well, that's, that what I, that's what I meant. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, it's like, she just like, I wasn't, I wasn't like, saying, oh, let's see what's on channel I didn't 33. tell her that we have, she, she will be surprised to learn that she is appearing on the podcast okay. this week. When Here she we go. It. The most comprehensive breakdown I've got uh, I've received from my mom was about our segment two weeks ago on Fixer Upper because, as you know, my mom also you know lived in Texas and has a deep emotional attachment to that show and to Chip and Joe, the hosts. Not to mention a really nice interior design sense. Well, I'm sure she'll appreciate you saying that. Yeah, she I does. agree. Um, th- this this is from Cherry Shoemaker, David. I love the podcast you you and Brian did this week. As a mom. I would have reminded you about the furniture line and rug line that Joe has, the <laughs> magazine, the enclave of garden homes Chip has built in Waco, etc. And don't forget the bed and breakfast. But it was both fun and interesting to hear you both discussing your takes on, on current topics. Wow. Yeah. Uh, later in, in the second week, she said, and this is great because it's meta media criticism. She said, I know nothing about markets, etc. But there must be a gazillion folks who would enjoy hearing two smart guys muse over the events of the week. Which, by the way, thank you, Mom. Can I have a couple of reactions to that? <laughs> yes. One is that she said David began yes, the message, right? That's such a mom thing. It's like, who else are you talking it's to? A right? formal, it's a formal letter, yes. She's using takes in the kind of <laughs> pre-irony sense of takes, which I really appreciate. Yes. And two smart guys, right? 
is there no more is there no more better compliment from your mom than smart you know smart guys such an yeah. intelligent such an intelligent story david You're not going to use that word uh loosely here's a reaction from mother curtis a little more generalized um ready i'm, I'm ready brian <laughs> colon this is so neat exclamation point also note two two uh, spaces between sentences in mom uh, mom communicates great work on Monday nights in 1994, there were two young men who watched wrestling, and in 2017, they were all grown up and doing a weekly podcast. It is obvious that you and David enjoy the podcast, and of course, the rapport has been in place for years. Smiley face. I knew a lot of the names that were mentioned, but not all of them. Please make sure I'm on the list to receive your podcast. <laughs> the list. And if you <laughs> listeners would also like to be on the list to receive our podcast, <laughs> that's um, our outro. Just go to, to, to iTunes or uh, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast and subscribe. I'm sorry. There's not an email list serve. I just the love the list. The list. <laughs> that there was this thing going out. That's, that's my mom's. I don't know. My mom budsman experience with my entire career is that stuff I'm doing, she's just not receiving it. Yeah. That somehow she's missed something. Sure. She's just worried. That is what she worries about. Sure. That Yeah. That she's not getting like the circular in the mail that advertises <laughs> where Brian Curtis is appearing this month. Segment number three, David. On Friday, a number of us sports writerly types will gather in Dallas, Texas to present a new award, the Dan Jenkins Medal for Excellence in Sports Writing. Ah, oh, so great. Now, who is Dan Jenkins? A young sports writer might ask. Well, that's what we're going to explain here. Former writer for Sports Illustrated. Uh, author of books like Semi-Tough and Dead Solid Perfect, and a denizen, a denizen and uh, product of Fort Worth, Texas, a place that you and I how would how do we explain the greatness of Dan, David? Dan Jenkins is is one of the greatest of all time when it comes to sports writing. If, sure, yeah. My my experience with Dan Jenkins is is always I mean it will always be framed by my friendship with you because you were you were you know a a a Dan head before I was able to discover him on my own. You know, um, I knew him mainly as like a, f a face on a plaque in the RL Pascal high school wall of fame. Um, more, more so than I knew him as a sports writer, but um, you know, I think coming up through the sort of writerly ranks in New York, um, you look at Dan Jenkins, not just as a writer whose style you want to aspire to, whose, whose ability uh, you wish that you could someday attain a fraction of, but also just the legend—the legend of the Texan displaced in New York and making and making a go of it. You know, yeah. And how a writer ought to be, right? Yeah. How someone ought to carry themselves. What was the story? I mean, there 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 are legendary stories about the S, the whole S Sports Illustrated team of that period in time, and how they would. You know, work until they'd work until what lunchtime. They'd go out for a three martini lunch <laughs> and then just relocate the office to the local bar. Is that? Am I getting this right? Yeah, it was a Chinese restaurant near the old Time Life building. And then, and then, the, and then that would lead to a, a a regular like series of bars after hours. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, Dan's Dan's legend was that at all times he had three drinks in front of him. It was a scotch and water. Right. A backup scotch and water and a coffee. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this is like th two in the morning. Yeah. With all those things had to be filled. Right. Um, and somebody told me later that, you know, with Dan, it's like one of the things he did is he would always eat this huge meal beforehand. Uh-huh. And uh, he would then show up 
and he was stomach was full. So everybody else was getting kind of plastered. Mm-hmm. And Dan was certainly, you know, holding his own. Right. But he was kind of a little more with it. And he would often he, he did these things called overheards. He would go to the bathroom and write down funny things people said, expressions right. and stuff. And then he would use them. Mm-hmm. And of course, they for, next day had forgotten them that they had actually said the funny thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just it's funny because in New York, you know, he went to like when you and I moved there. We were we were happily carrying ourselves and trying to carry ourselves in the same way. Oh, sure. You know, going to PJ Clark's, eating bacon cheeseburgers there. Right. Being young man. But really, you know, in Fort Worth, he is like it's really hard to explain. Like he is he is to Fort Worth what Philip Roth is to New Jersey. Right. You just walk into diners and there's an autographed picture of Dan Jenkins on the wall. Sure. And there's something that he I mean, there's a way that he was able to transcend uh to I mean transcend regionalism in a way you know there's the old canard that like re, in the in the literary fiction world that uh you know we, we like what is regional fiction or what is the regional writing it's like any writing that's not said in New York or Boston is regional you know I mean because like everything just sort of has this taint of being uh you know some sort of like hillbilly gym or something if it comes from somewhere else Dan Jenkins is. You know, Forward Texas's greatest writer, one of Texas's, the state's greatest writers of all time. Um, and while you would certainly consider him, you know, wedded to that part of the country as, you know, in, in, on a very inherent level, he was a, you know, his greatest sports writing transcended that entirely. He was, he he used the drawl of Texas in a way to sort of, you know, get the, uh, to to imbue all of his writing with his everyman status. Exactly. And that's the trick, right? He he is of Texas, fully embraced Texas, mm-hmm. and yet took that act and went national with sure. it, right? Without ever like changing into anything else. His thing is, I think, you know, he was, he was probably, and I, I'm sure he would say this, he was in Texas longer than he wanted to be. Uh-huh. He was ready to go to Sports Illustrated, sure. which he referred to as the Yankees. <laughs> you know, that was, that was the place to be. Yeah. And he was a sports, he was writing, was first the fourth press and he was writing a sports column. Uh, for the Dallas Times Herald, and he was he was just like Dan was ready to go, and I think you know he probably thought you know he, he always thought he was one of the best and thought he could do that. But yeah, then he gets there, and these novels he writes, the characters are from Fort Worth <laughs> by and large, and went to Pasco High School where you and I went to high school. Yeah, and and yet, and he's telling it, and he will just stop these novels to tell like a funny story about Pasco, which is just totally made up. Sure, but I'm sure had some 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 truth in Dan's life. And those were best-selling books. Like oh, David yeah. Halberstam raved semi-tough sure. in the New York Times when it came out. And it's just, I think for for us, like reading that as a kid was incredible. Because it was like, not only did this dude go here, go to school here, he just took the, he just took Pascal and took Fort Worth and made it into a national thing. Sure. The hardest thing about, you know, becoming a journalist, whenever people ask you for advice, you know, how do how do how do I become the next Brian Curtis? I don't know about you, but, you know, I always tell people, especially if they're not in New York, you know, you have to get to New York. It's like becoming an actor. You have to like just get on the bus and get there and like figure it out and be be available, you know, and be a good person. Um, and and, you know, when you when you read something like semi tough, when you read, you know, when you when you see that someone like Dan Jenkins started at Pascal High School and made it to Sports Illustrated, made it to the cover story at SI, then it all seems attainable to you. It's still very far away, but he makes it possible. And what's funny about that, right, is we're talking about a particular brand of, we're talking about a particular literary vision. Right. Nobody, I don't, I don't remember you in high school, but nobody said, man, I want to be a great novelist. 
Right. But sports writer, Mm -hmm. writer of sports writerly novels Mm -hmm. was very attainable. That vision was that was a lane. Yes. At Pascal right out of there. By the way, Bud Shrake was with Dan's best pal who (laughs) also went from Pascal to SI was also a great writer himself. But like that was there. But no one said, like, I want to be the next Philip Roth. Oh, yeah. Nobody said I want to be, you know. Whatever name a name a great F. Scott Fitzgerald. They yeah. said like Dan Jenkins. Oh, and people go, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, you can wrap your mind around that. Um, it bears mention here that that uh, Jenkins and Bud Trake were both um, contributors to the the Pantherette, Pascal's uh, local newspaper, and as <laughs> as was as were <laughs> you in your heyday. I was, I was, yeah. I used to say funny because he had moved when we were in high school. He had moved back to. Fort Worth, Dan. Mm-hmm. And I, my mom and I would go to Luby's cafeteria and he, and we'd see him. And my mom would say, why don't you go say hi to him? I mean, I was editing the newspaper that Dan had edited 50 <laughs> years before. And I'd be like, I don't want to, I don't want to do it until I've done something. I mean, I really couldn't do it until wow. later in my life until I had actually become a real sports writer. Um, I just didn't, I just didn't think I was worthy to literally go up and say hi to him. Sure. Um, I didn't feel that way about Skip Bayless. I felt that way about Dan Jenkins. Like I wanted, to, I wanted to talk to Skip, um, but I felt it was almost like he was just so big uh, and loomed so large that I didn't want to. I think the funny thing now is, you know, I've interviewed him a few times, wrote about him for Grantland back in the day. Sure, he um, he's in his eighties. He doesn't drink or smoke anymore. And I asked him if he missed drinking, and he said no. And I said, "Did you do you miss cigarettes?" I said, "Yes." <laughs> like that was, I thought that was great. He also, uh, we had a little ceremony at UT when this award was announced mm-hmm. a couple months ago, and he got up and gave an amazing speech. Uh, I think Dan's probably not one for big speeches in front of crowds, right? But he gave him a fabulous five minute speech, which ended with a joke about, "Thank God we didn't all go to Baylor." <laughs> <laughs> that's just like great talking about a guy talking about a guy who's who can you know straddle the line between Texan and you know New York writer so seamlessly it's worth it's you know it's worth pointing out that he was a diehard you know lifelong TCU Texas Christian University fan that's graduate, based in Fort graduate Worth and, and, and graduate and gave his archives his you know writings and letters to the University of Texas at Austin and as man and managed as smoothly as possible to avoid any seeming conflict of interest between those two things. He's he has an incredible comfort in the way that he presents himself and his like little folksiness and he just makes it all seem totally totally reasonable. There were some eyebrows raised. In <laughs> eyebrows the, in, were the raised. For, in the former Southwest Conference, let me tell you, with yeah. that with that decision, because he is so TCU. Speaking of people, as you mentioned before, who are reluctant to give speeches uh, in front of others, I count myself in that group. <laughs> and yet I got up at your wedding uh, as requested, this was not an impromptu, and and read a few lines from Semi Tough. And by the way, for some context, there were two people who did readings at my wedding. <laughs> one read from the Bible, yes, and one friend read from, and you read from the other Bible. Semi Tough. Um, Do you want to tell the story? By the way, what happened at the rehearsal? Well, the rehearsal, I, I I misjudged how long I had to read and how long what I had selected to read would last. So not only did I go. About five minutes when the intention was probably to go 45 seconds or something like that. But I left in all of the curse words that were in the piece (laughs) uh, because mostly because I was sort of feeling it out. We had talked about it. We hadn't talked about specifically like editing out any of it. I was like, I'm sure it'll be great. Yeah. And and, because when you. And I was laughing. And here's the thing. When Dan Jenkins, when you read the novel in Dan Jenkins voice, 
there's nothing offensive about it. No. But when I get up on a microphone in like, you know, a, a tie and I just pull it and I have these sheets of paper. And I'm in a I'm in a little church in Connecticut and I'm like, so I start reading. It suddenly sounds like I am cursing the Lord Jesus by by <laughs> by saying anything even slightly off color. Um, so we had to go with the actual ceremony, a slightly edited, a, a, br- a much briefer and and edited version. Uh, I think I think um, uh, your mother in law was uh, when I during the rehearsal was was particularly stricken. Right? Yeah, it was all we only yeah. It's a, it's a small crisis. We overcame it. It was totally fine. But I, I don't even remember what it, I, I have the I I couldn't find the, the I did save the paper that were the edited down version. I don't even know where it is though. I do have my copy of Semi Tough here in in front of me, so I don't remember how exactly this. Uh, you know, what was taken out, one can imagine. But um, I, the last scene is a conversation um, between uh, Billy Clyde Puckett, who is the the is Dan Jenkins avatar in the book, played famously by Burt Reynolds in the movie. And Barbara Jane is sort of like uh, f- just female best friend. Who, and, they're, and at the bo- end of the book, they eventually uh, decide that they're a perfect match for one another. And the last two lines, uh, the last three lines, I guess, are... We kissed again very seriously and held on to each other like we were in the back seat of a car out in the woods on a cold night and the windows were fogging up. Say, uh, whatever your name is, I said quietly. I think this deal might work out. And Barbara Jane said, it sure as hell might. I'll be a some bitch. <laughs> now, <laughs> kissing. I'm tearing up. Necking in, necking in parked cars aside. Uh, I hope, and, call, and calling your future spouse whatever your name is. <laughs> I'd like to think that that not only is a you know is an appropriate toast to to your to your wonderful uh, marriage, but also to the future of this podcast. There we go. Here and then, both of which are going strong. Yeah. I'd like to say that's it for the press box this week. Thank you, David Shoemaker. Thank you, Brian. Uh, as always, for doing it. We'll be back next week with more uh, hot takes on everything. See you then. I'll be a some bitch. Mm-hmm.